My name is Mitchell Welch. I'm the college pastor here. I'm going to be preaching this morning. Thanks for coming. Um, before we get started, I want to, as the college pastor, give a, uh, just a word to all of our college students. Yes, the seniors that are graduating, but also to all of the college students finishing out this school year. I am so proud of you guys. Way to go. How many of you guys have felt like, man, it's hard work to like make it through a school year? Yeah, a few of y'all? All right. Well, so proud of you guys. Those graduating, what an accomplishment to graduate from Texas A&M University. Way to go. And college students that aren't graduating, I have seen you guys working hard, being diligent, honoring the Lord with your academics, living in community, serving, sacrificing of your time, pursuing God, and I am so proud of you guys. And as we transition into summer, uh, guys, it's like three days away. No finals on Wednesday. It'll be done. Uh, I believe that, just like Tyler said, for the uh, graduating seniors, that we are going from glory to glory, as 2 Corinthians 3 says, that the summer is going to be amazing. We're going to continue to take steps forward in God and not steps backward in God. Amen? So you continue to pursue Him. He's faithful to show up and, and meet you and give you the grace that you need to continue to move forward in Him. I'm excited for the summer. You guys excited for the summer, too? Awesome families. It's, it's fun, too. We get to travel a little bit. So I'm excited for the summer. All right, guys. Well, we've been in this series on the book of Romans called The Gospel of Power. Everybody say, The Gospel of Power. The whole premise of this series has been taken from Romans 1.16. And it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first, and also to the Aggies. <laughs> the gospel of power, according to this verse, has power to bring salvation. That word in the Greek does not just mean like a ticket into heaven one day. It means total life transformation. That's, that, that's the Greek word. Total life transformation. That's what the gospel has power to do. Two weeks ago, Tyler preached on Romans chapter 6 about how we have freedom in Christ. The new norm as a believer in Jesus, if you have confessed him as Lord and Savior, is you are free. Free from the power of sin, free from your old way of living. You're a new creation and you are free in Christ. That good news to anybody this morning? (laughs) Okay, last week, uh, Chris talked about Romans 7, which continues to unpack our freedom in Christ, but also towards the end of it, it, it just gives us a little bit of a predicament. There's like this war, this struggle going on. Paul said things like, man, what I want to do, I don't do. What I hate, I do. He says, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And if we stop with Romans 7, it's a little bit discouraging. But last time I checked my Bible, Romans doesn't stop with chapter 7, amen? (laughs) Mine keeps going. This is good news. The next chapter, chapter 8, is where we're going to be spending our time this morning. We're going to dive deep into Romans chapter 8, which is going to shed a whole bunch of light on what it looks like to walk free in Jesus. All right? You guys ready for some Romans 8 this morning? Well, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, We're actually going to read this whole chapter. Like right now. Yes. So here's what we're going to do. If you have a Bible, open up to Romans 8. And once you go ahead and do this, why don't you stand on back up to your feet, all right? We're going to stand at the reading of the Word of God. You're welcome for the workout. (laughs) 
So here's how it's going to work. I'm going to be the one reading it. You guys are following along, uh, listening. There's a few of these verses that I'm going to ask you guys to read out loud with me. But wait for my cue, because if we all read our Bibles with different translations, it would not make sense. I am reading from the ESV, the Extra Spiritual Version. <laughs> so here we go. We're going to start in verse 1. And this one, we're all going to read together. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. Ready, set, go. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a good, it's a good start. Okay, here we go. Verse 2, you guys, just listen along with me. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Somebody say life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry. Let's all say it. Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Everybody take a deep breath. Verse 18, halfway there. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's read this next one together. Verse 26. Ready? Go. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
That's encouraging. Verse 27, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Verse 31, let's read this one together. Ready, go. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, read it with me. Ready, go. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as the band comes on up, Lord, I just, just pray that your word that we just read would sink deep into our lives, would absolutely transform us. We just looked at profound truth. And you said, Jesus, in John 8, that when we know the truth, we believe it, the truth will set us free. And so, Lord, I pray, no matter how we came in here this morning, if we're discouraged, if we're distracted, if we're filled with hope and joy, if we've been to church a lot lately or not a lot, no matter where we're at today, Lord, I pray every single heart would be touched by you today. You're a good God that loves us. You know exactly what we're going through. You know exactly what we need. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give us uh, fresh things this morning that change us. We want to leave here different than when we came in. Lord, we thank you, we love you, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now go ahead and take a seat. The band is not coming up. I'm just kidding. Wow. All right, guys. Well, we're going to dive deep into Romans 8 this morning, all right? But before we do that, I'm going to let you guys know of a couple resources that can be supplemental to the incredible message you're about to hear this morning. Um, once you write a couple of these things down, uh, and you write our website down, AntiochWaco.com. It might be actually AntiochWaco.org. Um, they, uh, Antioch is part of a network of churches, and there's a guy named Jimmy Seibert, who's a senior pastor in the Antioch in Waco, also oversees the whole uh, movement of Antioch churches. He, just two weeks ago, finished a three-week series all on Romans chapter 8. I only get one week, but that's all right. He get three weeks to go deep into this passage. Uh, the series is called Living Fully Alive. So I highly encourage you guys to check that out to go deeper in this passage. Also, the main theme that we're going to pull out of Romans chapter 8 is our identity in Christ. Everybody say identity. identity. It's discovering who God says we are. 
There's a lot of people that will try to tell you who you are. There's a lot of things that will try to tell you who you are, but we're going to discover who God says we are, and we're going to know our identity in Christ. There's an amazing book called Victory Over the Darkness. Uh, who's read that or ever heard of that? Raise your hand real quick. Okay, quite a few folks. Um, it's by a guy named uh, Dr. Neil T. Anderson. I'm not sure what the T stands for, but it's in his title there. But anyways, Neil Anderson wrote this book, and it goes in-depth about who the Bible says that we are in Christ. Filled with scripture, and it is an incredible resource. I encourage you guys to uh, look at that. You can get it for like 10 bucks on Amazon. All right. Before uh, we look at a few of these scriptures, I'm going to do a quick poll, okay? I'm going to need you to participate and raise your hand, okay? I'm going to lay out for you two different types of lives that you can live, okay? There's going to be two options. It may be a close call, but I'm going to read the first and then the second, and then you're going to take your little vote, okay? The first type of life. Here we go. You live continually discouraged, defeated, walking in inferiority to sin, feeling powerless and hopeless for change, being empty and bored on the inside, and living a life less than what God has for you. All right, option two, living a life that you're continually encouraged. You're filled with joy and hope even in the midst of hard circumstances. You walk in victory over sin and temptation. You are filled with God's power daily, and you're overflowing with His peace. You're living in the fullness that God has for you. So raise your hand if you would like option number one. All right, I'm going to the right church. Okay. Raise your hand if you like option two a little bit better and want to live that kind of life. Sweet. Then just take good notes this morning, all right? Because I'm going to try to help you guys out. Romans 8 goes deep into our identity in Christ and our identity in Christ. Knowing who God says we are will drastically affect how we live. Do you know that your actions are actually a byproduct of who you believe you are? Do you guys know what God thinks about you? You're his son, his daughter. He loves you, believes in you. Not only does he love you, he likes you. He made you. He forms you. You have value. You have purpose. Not only that, if you put your faith in Jesus, the Bible says that you are dead to a life of sin and you're alive in Christ. You're set free from the power of sin and darkness and you can live a victorious Christian life. When temptation comes your way, you can say no and you can walk in victory. The Spirit of God dwells inside of you. You've been given power on the inside of you to live a victorious life. You have purpose, you have destiny, you have a calling from God, every single one of you. It's not just pastors on a stage or a worship team. It's every single one of us that put our faith and trust in Jesus. This is some of the things that the Bible, especially in Romans 8, says that we are. Guys, when we believe this, it changes everything. Everything. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to figure out what actually changes in my life if I believe in who God says that I am. All right, I'm going to give you four things that if we know our identity in Christ, this is how it will affect the way that I live. You guys ready for those four things? So according to Romans 8, here's what happens when you know who God says you are. We crush condemnation. We walk in freedom from sin. We have victory over fear, and we rest secure in God's love. Do any of those things sound good to you? Sounds amazing to me. This is the kind of life that I want to live, walking in these things. Let's dive into Romans 8, and we're going to discover what this says. So here we go. 
Very first verse is about our first topic. When we know who we are, what happens? We crush condemnation. Romans 8, verse 1, we read it earlier. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is anybody already encouraged by that truth? This is good news. Condemnation, what does that mean? It's the expression of very strong disapproval, and it's the action of sentencing someone to a punishment. If you're in Christ, forever, disapproval has been taken off your life. You're approved by God. You're accepted. The punishment that you deserve and that I deserved was already taken for us. There's no condemnation in Christ. Amen? Amen. I can feel it lifting already in this room. This is a huge, bless you. This is a... This was a huge uh, struggle, honestly, for me. Early on in my Christian walk, I struggled a lot with condemnation and just feeling kind of guilty. I don't know about you, but before I gave my life to Jesus, I did a lot of bad things. Okay? Jesus saved me and transformed me. But early on, after I started following him, I would randomly have these thoughts and these memories of things I did in the past. And he would make me feel so dirty, so condemned, so just accused. And I didn't know what to do about it. So somebody encouraged me, hey, when that happens, when random thoughts come into your mind that try to condemn you and weigh you down, they said, hey, just begin to picture Jesus dying on the cross for you, literally shedding his blood and taking all of your sins on him. So I said, okay, I'll do that. So I began to, when those thoughts would come, I'd begin to think about Jesus. I'd begin to thank him. I'd say, Jesus, thank you that you took all my sin, my shame, all the things that have condemned me. You've taken that for me on the cross, I would read passages like Isaiah 53 that really depicts what Jesus did for us, took, taking all these things for us. And you know what started happening? I started actually believing that Jesus took all that stuff and that the condemnation and the shame that goes with it also he took. And as I started believing it more and more, condemnation started falling off my life. Yeah. I started believing that I was approved and accepted by God, and it set me free. Guys, if you are in Christ, the same is true for you. Everything you've ever done wrong, whether it was five minutes ago, whether it was an hour ago, whether it was five years ago, Jesus took it on the cross. He also took the shame and condemnation that goes with it. You are free, loved, and accepted and approved by a God that loves you. Amen? Now, let me give you a little insider information here about this whole idea of condemnation and and, and accusation. Whose voice is the voice of condemnation? God? No. (laughs) No. Satan, the enemy, is the voice of the accuser. Here's a cool little verse at the end of Romans that teaches us what God does with Satan. All right, Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Don't you love that? God is so peaceful. He's so gracious. He's going to crush Satan under your feet. Amen? This is the God we serve. Full of peace, full of grace. But if you get in his way and if people start messing with his people, if Satan starts messing with his children, he crushes them. He says no. Isn't that amazing? We get to see condemnation crushed in our life if we believe who God says that we are. One of the, my favorite examples of condemnation being lifted off of somebody is found in John 8, the story of the woman caught in adultery. Some of us are familiar with this story, but literally a woman was caught in the very act. 
Some religious folks dragged her through at the feet of Jesus. They all picked up stones, but before they threw the stones, they asked Jesus, Jesus, what do you think about this? Jesus, of course, brilliant response. He says, he is without sin, throw the first stone. They're all like, man. Drop their stones, they all leave, and it's just Jesus and this woman. And here's how the story wraps up. John 8, 10 and 11 says, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. From now on, sin no more. Jesus is committed to lifting condemnation from our life. But don't miss the end phrase. When condemnation is lifted, the direct result is that we are empowered to sin no more. Do you see that? And that just so happens to be my second point. When we know our identity in Christ, not only does condemnation get crushed, but also we walk in freedom from sin. Here's what Romans 8 verse 2 says. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It's amazing news, guys. We're dead to the old life, but we have been set free to walk with God in the spirit. Well, here is, I believe, a kicker in understanding this truth. And real quick, a disclaimer. The Bible never promises that we're going to be free of temptation. But it does promise that we can live free of sin. Jesus himself was tempted. But did he sin? No. He lived a victorious life because he knew who he was. So just because we're tempted doesn't mean that we have to give in. Do you believe that? I mean, well, yeah, but what if I'm like really tired? What if I'm, like, really stressed? I've been studying all day, you know, so if I'm tempted, of course i got to give in. Is that true? No. If you know who you are, you know that you have power by the Spirit of God to overcome the temptations that come your way. So this is the kicker. Is if you want to live victorious and free from sin, then you must know who lives inside of you. You are, if you're trying to do it in your own strength and your own power and your own wisdom and your own spiritual resume and how many church services you've attended, how, many, how much of the Bible you've read, if you tried to overcome sin with all that, then I, bad news, you're going to lose. But if you're relying on the Spirit of God inside of you, you can overcome. Yeah. This was a great journey for me in, in college. Uh, one of the verses that God spoke to me to help me understand this truth was 1 John 4, 4. On the screen behind me, it says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. What's he talking about? Who's in you? The Spirit of God is greater than the one in the world. So let me ask this question. When tempted to sin, who has the upper hand? Sin and the devil? Or you and Jesus and the Spirit of God inside of you? Who has the upper hand? I don't know about you guys, but last time I checked, as I read the Bible, Jesus wins at the end. <laughs> and he calls his people victorious over sin. The Spirit of God inside of you and me is stronger than any temptation that comes your way. I remember this truth landing deep in me in college when I would be faced with temptation. Listen, guys, I am faced with temptation this past week, faced with temptation this morning. Faced... Every single day of my life, I'm faced with temptation, Okay? It doesn't mean I have to give into it every time. So in college, I think it was my sophomore year, um, I remember 
opportunity, I remember being in my duplex, I was in my duplex, studying, doing different things, and I'd be, have these opportunities to choose sin or to choose righteousness. And I remember many times getting up from my chair, wherever I was, and I would go to my kitchen or, uh, or my living room, and I'd begin just to start reminding myself of my identity. I was reminding myself of who God says I am. And I'd say, Lord, thank you. There's no condemnation in Christ. Thank you that I'm free from the power of sin. Thank you, Lord, that your spirit is in me. The one who is in me is greater than the one who's in the world. No weapon formed against me will prosper. You're more powerful than the enemy. You have given me authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, according to Luke 10, 19, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. I begin to declare this out loud, and it would be kind of fierce sometimes. But you know what the, the result was? I didn't choose sin. Yeah. My sophomore year, I had a guy living with me that was kind of new to church stuff, and one time I was doing this, and I didn't know he was home. And uh, <laughs> so I'm, like, doing it in my bedroom. The door's, like, halfway open, and I'm just going to town. Lord Jesus, thank you for freedom. Thank you, Lord. I choose you. I choose life. And all of a sudden, I look at my door. He's, like, walking by, like, oh, no. <laughs> I knew this guy was weird, but this has gotten bad. But listen, y'all, here's what God taught me through that. If looking weird resulted in freedom, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I would rather look weird to walk in freedom than just please everybody else and still be bound in my sin. Because that is not who God says that I am. He says I'm free. Sometimes we've got to remind ourselves a lot. But we can all walk free because this truth does not just apply to Mitchell Welch or Chris Fletcher or Tyler. It applies to you if you have put your faith in Jesus. Amen? There is nothing, no sin, that is too hard for Jesus to set you free from. When we know our identity, we get to walk free from sin. Third, when we know our identity, we can have victory over fear. Everybody say, victory over fear. Victory over fear. Here's what Romans 8, verse 14 through 16 says. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Once you look at your neighbor and say, you're a child of God. Look at somebody else next to you and say, you have victory over fear. Way to go. Good job. Feels good, speaking truth over each other, huh? Now, I want to dissect this just a second here. It's interesting to me that in this passage, in context of talking about this fear thing, it, that the Bible calls it a spirit. Verse 15 says, you not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. It reminds me of another scripture in 2 Timothy that calls fear a spirit as well. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. So let's think about that, this fear deal. It's called here a couple times the spirit. Let me ask this question. What did Jesus do with spirits that were not from God? Did he like hang out with them? Hey, man, come on. Did he say, would you, will you, you know, will you please stop? No, what did he do? He said, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Get out. Well, he didn't use his own name, but you know what I mean. He, says, he said, get out of here. He says, no. I cast that out. He says, I am not putting up with spirits that are not from God. And the same is true for us. When we feel fear, now listen, all of us have some sort of fear, some degree of it, some measure of it. But Jesus 
wants us to know that we're not called to settle for those fears in our life. No matter how big or how little, how serious or how silly they might be, Jesus does not want us to settle for fear in our life. And he doesn't want us to settle for fear in other people's lives that we love and care about either. This is something I'm really learning right now with my older son, Josiah. I've got an almost six-year-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old, and Josiah is playing baseball right now, actually t-ball, and we're working to overcome some fear. Okay, so it was the middle of game three. All of a sudden, I don't know where he's up to bat. And the, the way T-ball works in his league is you get like three or four pitches from coach. And if you don't hit it, you, they bring the T out. Okay, got it? T-ball. There we go. So middle of game three, he's up to bat. And all of a sudden, he just, just you know, start, starts ducking away from the ball every time it comes. Like, no, I don't want to hit it. So, you know, as a good dad, I said, just I swing the bat. All right, buddy? Swing the bat. <laughs> don't be afraid of the ball, buddy. And, uh, it, you know, not, not like, you know, the, the happiest moment. I'm like, man, we paid for this thing. I want you to learn how to play baseball, buddy. Come on, we can do this. But, um, of course, I did not discourage him, yell at him or whatever. Uh, but I, you know, encouraged him, say, you can do this. You got this, buddy. God's with you. You can do it. And, uh, but one, I was committed to helping him not get good at baseball, but to overcome his fears. I don't care if he goes and plays baseball the rest of his life. Seems unlikely that he will make it in the MLB, okay? <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it's great. That's not my aspiration for his life. I want him to be a man of God that's not hindered by fear. Yeah. That's what I want. So we work on it. Like he had a game that lasted until past his bedtime, and then I said, hey, buddy, we're going to be committed to overcome our fears. And so we go to the backyard as soon as we get home and say, hey, we're going to work on it. So I throw him lots of pitches. He's still going like this, still going like this. But there is little by little progress that is being made with lots of other uh, additional benefit rewards, such as ice cream and other things. <laughs> but whatever, I am, I am committed to helping him overcome his fear because here's what fear does. It hinders us. It stops us from enjoying the life of freedom that God has for us. And so whatever fear we may have, we can overcome. We need to not settle for it because we don't want to be hindered from walking in the full destiny that God has for our life. One of the things that I'm doing with Josiah to help him overcome is I'm giving him some scriptures to memorize and to declare out loud. So when he goes up to bat, one of the verses he says out loud under his breath is 2 Timothy 1.7. He says, I don't know, not have a spirit of fear, but power, love, and sound mind. Another one is from Isaiah 54. It says, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. We changed it a little bit, and we said, no baseball formed against me shall prosper. All right? <laughs> Micah, the younger brother, thinks that's hilarious. <laughs> no baseball formed against us. That's awesome. <laughs> Literally, it just like chuckles. <laughs> that's awesome. Those guys. So find scriptures, find truth, declare them of yourself, and don't run away from your fears. Address them before God, and he has freedom for you. Don't settle for the fears in your life. One truth at the, towards the end of Romans 8 that helps me overcome my fears is Romans 8, 31. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God's for us, what do we have to be afraid of? He loves us. He's for us. He's protecting us. He's guarding us. He's got good in store for us. Who can be against us? What, what do I have to be afraid of? So if we know who we are in Christ, that we are his, we belong to him, that we can walk free and have victory over our fears. Last but not least, when we know who we are in Christ, we can rest secure in God's love. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the rest of Romans 8 again. It's the very end of this passage is so powerful because it talks about the love of God. 
here we go. Band, you can go ahead and come on up as I read this. Romans 8, starting in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Skip down to verse 37. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You guys know that God loves you a lot and nothing Absolutely nothing. No circumstance, no sin of your past, no lie of the enemy will ever be able to stop the power and the pursuit of God's love for you. He's never left you, nor will he ever. He has shown plain and clear to the whole world that he's committed in his love for us. Romans 5 verse 8 says that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us to show us how much that God loves us. He loves us, y'all. We can rest secure. We don't have to be insecure. We don't have to strive. We can rest and we can be secure because we are loved by God. And this beckons the questions, who, whose love and whose approval are you chasing after? There's gonna be a lot of people that turn you down. There's gonna be a lot of people that may reject you. There's gonna be a lot of people that don't love you. There's gonna be a lot of people that don't like your posts. There's gonna be a lot of people that, but you're okay. You can still be secure because you're loved by God. I don't know about you, but. I care more about being loved by God than by you. I don't even know some of you. <laughs> I'm not concerned if you love like me. What I, God loves me. I'm secure because of that. Not only does he love you, but he paid a high price for you to show you how much he loves you. Let me have uh, you guys close your eyes just for a minute here. I think this is just going to be a significant moment for us some of us here. Close your eyes just for a minute. You're here this morning and you either don't believe that God loves you or never said, okay, I believe this. Maybe you've struggled with feeling condemned from things of your past. Maybe there's some sin things that you still feel bound to. Maybe there's some fears that just seem to cripple you and hinder you. Well, if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, then I, I want to submit to you that there is no hope. But if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can have freedom from all those things. With every eye closed, if you're here in this room this morning and you've never given your heart over to Jesus, trusting him for your salvation, trusting him to take away your sins and giving you new life and eternal life, and you want to make that decision this morning, then I'm going to ask you boldly just right now, shoot up your hand. Just roll boldly, shoot up your hand. You're saying, I want to turn over my life to the Lord Jesus and I want to receive the gift of salvation and forgiveness of our sin. Amazing. You guys can put your hands down. You can open your eyes too. <laughs> There's about five or six folks that made a decision they want to put their faith and trust in Jesus. Amen. So good. So good. It's the greatest decision you guys have ever made. If you're serious, if you mean it, and then if you take that next step of learning how to follow him, getting around other people that will teach you how to follow Jesus, believe this stuff, believe in your new identity, and to walk it out for the rest of your life. Later on in the service, we're going to have some folks up here to pray for people. So I encourage you, if you raise your hand, please come on down. Don't be shy. 
Don't be afraid. They want to pray for you, encourage you, and um, give you a few tips on some next steps. But for everybody else here, what do we do with this whole talk on who we are in Christ? You have pretty much one practical. You believe it. That's all I got for you guys. <laughs> Jesus said in John 8, if you, you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And who the Son sets free is free indeed. If you believe who God says you are, it will dramatically change your life. You will live in victory. A couple of things to help you believe it is you read this over and over and over and over again. You let it sink deep into your soul. You memorize it. You pray it. You get other people to remind you of the truths. You also declare it out loud. There's a resource that's going to be made available on our uh, church app called In Christ. It lists a whole bunch of scriptures and a whole bunch of um, phrases that are true about our identity. Use that thing. Pull it out. Look it up on the app. It's called In Christ. And you can just say those things out loud and declare them of yourself. And I believe God's going to change how we live our life because we know who we are in Him. Amen? All right, let's stand to our feet this morning. We have our prayer team come on forward. So if you are here this morning, don't, and don't miss this moment. We love doing this at the end of our services because we want to respond to what God is doing in us. And it may seem like a long trek down to the front to receive prayer, but it's not. It's like 15 yards max. <laughs> okay? and, and if God is doing something in your heart, I really want to encourage you, don't, don't miss out on responding to what He's doing in you. If you want freedom from condemnation, if you raise your hand to you give your life to Jesus, if you want to begin to live a life of victory in Jesus, then come receive prayer. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing a song of victory. So, Lord, thank you for this morning, and just thank you for your truth, Lord. Thank you for your truth. If we believe this, God, I believe it would not only change us, but it would change our city, our workplaces, our families, our school systems. It would change us if there would be a people that rise up saying, I know who I am in Christ. When I go out to eat after this, it's going to change the atmosphere of every place I step in because I know who I am in Christ. I am free from condemnation, free from sin, and I don't have anything to be afraid of, and I know I am loved by God. Thank you, Lord, for a day of victory. Thank you for a day of freedom for every single one of us in this room. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done, and we thank you for the freedom you've given us. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen.